Today on Empowering Workplaces, we are digging into the role of data in the heated debate about the return to the office with Dr. Serena Huang, founder and CEO, Data with Serena, and Chief Data Officer at Abe. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. All right. Hi, Dr. Serena. So excited to have you here. Um, why don't you tell us and our listeners a little bit more about your background and you know what is your interest in this today's topic and you know the, the cool stuff you've been doing? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Serena Huang, founder and CEO of Data with Serena and Chief Data Officer at Ape. I recently left my corporate executive job leading people analytics to launch my own business. And I've been on a mission to help the world learn to love data with Serena, hence the company name. And um, what? <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's too long, right? So I had to uh, had to have a uh, you know, normal size company name. Um, and and now I have uh, very fun mugs and other things <laughs> that uh, that I'm proud to share. So how I got onto the people in the journey, uh, well, there's a long version. I'll keep it short. I'm a labor economist by training, and that means I work at the intersection of people and data, really. And even before people analytics was a thing, um, I had thought I was going to be a consultant forever. And uh, I got a call from GE when they were building out the HR analytics, it was called at the time, uh, when I was still a consultant at Deloitte. Um, um, and I had zero at the time, you know, HR background and thought this was not going to be a good idea. Um, <laughs> But they promised me, you know, as a, a company at the time, 300,000 people, they were going to teach me all the HR stuff as long as I bring my skills on data and I have passion for people. And I thought, wow, what a great way to learn about HR, a new domain in a world-class organization like GE. So, so I joined and I really never looked back until most recently. Um, and during that time, I have been the head of people analytics at uh, companies like GE Aviation, GE Transportation, Coke Industries, Kraft Heinz, and most recently, PayPal. Um, so I've gotten a chance to see people analytics grow up. And as we all know, in the past few years, um, there was the pandemic and there's all these issues around, you know, should we go back to the office? And as the head of people analytics, I had the privilege and pressure and stress to work on this particular issue uh, sitting where I was sitting by bringing data around employees to the boardroom. Um, so excited to talk about that today. Fabulous. Oh. I love it so much. And I, when you and I first connected, I feel like we shared so many similar passions and we're trying to figure out like, what do we make this episode about? There's so many cool things that we can talk about. And one of the topics that came up was return to the office and in more particularly how it impacts the DEIB initiatives, how it impacts well-being. 
Tell me a little bit before we jump into all the questions and the data. Tell me a little bit about what makes you passionate about this area. What was it that out of, again, like the the many different things we could have talked about, that that was one of the yes. things that bubbled up as a, as a passion for you today? Right. Um, many years ago, when future of work was sort of a new word, um, <laughs> I managed to get myself on the company's council of future work with other executives. And these were kind of uh, multi-functional teams um, across discipline where there was a, you know, kind of an executive from each function, from finance to HR to legal to technology that got together to figure out what the future of automation really mean. Like, again, this was years ago um, and future work was completely a buzzword and there was some research on the topic, but not really. And uh, so I had the pleasure of joining really an internal research group almost to think about what this means for our employees. How can we be prepared for the future and how do we upscale our employees? Um, so I think that's kind of the bug that was planted many years ago. And then, of course, the pandemic, just seeing it firsthand. I was at Kraft Heinz when the pandemic hit. So you can imagine being uh, one of the largest food companies in the world when the food was flying off the shelf, um, data analytics um, were really, gosh, it's the star of the show, right? Because you can't, um, you can't really run a uh, facility without data analytics um, uh, at, at that scale, along with managed employees at that scale. So um, employee safety went from a nice to have to a must have overnight right? for yeah. both, uh, both the company's survival, but also for the world that needs food. Um, and so I think as the many iterations of what happened with the virus, um, I, I think we we had to go from let's be agile and resilient to let's use some data to figure out what we are going to do because we want to be able to provide for the world. And, and this is um, this there's no playbook, right? That the most beautiful thing about um uh beautiful maybe the wrong word uh maybe the silver lining is that we are now able to talk about difficult issues that we couldn't before such as mental health and employee wellness mm -hmm. um and diversity equity inclusion in very different ways that that we didn't before um but at the same time i think there was also all the opportunities where we could have collected data before we could have asked for employee feedback and we didn't because it wasn't so front and center until COVID. Um, and so I just, um, I say, you know, data analytics person at heart want to be able to bring more data to this question. And like I said, that's likely my bias, but <laughs> when in doubt, <laughs> data <laughs> is going to be my go-to. Um, so, yeah. So, so I think, uh, so I think that's, that's, that's probably the second. And then the third tie-in was employee wellness. Um, I just saw firsthand as a people leader, in companies that everyone was going through something. Everyone yeah. was going through something, some, sometimes visible, sometimes not as visible. Um, and suddenly we had to, you know, it wasn't just a option to be empathetic and to be caring. As a leader, if you want your team to be successful, um, maybe not even successful, just survive in some days, you have to be, mm -hmm 
you have to show empathy. You have to show that you care in a way that is received by your team members um, because there's so much going on. So, so I think that wellness piece, um, I was able to see firsthand. And so I slowly introduced things like meditation to mm-hmm. at, at Zoom meetings that I will lead. Um, at one point, I ran a, um, uh, a, a mindfulness training for a large group of people in corporate America. That was very interesting. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised by how needed that practice is, even if it's just for a couple of minutes. Um, so I continue to practice mindfulness myself today and um, really hope that we don't lose any momentum we get from the pandemic and making employee wellness a priority and a must have and not just a nice to have. Well, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And that's why I think that this topic is so important to talk about, because I know for a lot of us, and I totally agree with you, I think the pandemic was like all levels of degrees of terrible for different people. And I think some of us were more vocal about it. Um, Anyone and I know and I applaud you for being vocal about it, too, because I think there's still a significant number of workers that wonder how much of a voice they can have, how vulnerable they can be, what is like in a way okay or socially acceptable. And anyone that I would talk to was like, I'm, I'm miserable. Like this is really impacting me. I'm a very social person. My family lives in different parts of the world. And there was a, like a small period of time. I couldn't even recognize myself. And I, I talk about it now and I get goosebumps because it was so awful and I knew it, but I didn't know what to do about it. I felt like I, even as a psychologist, I don't know how to get out of it. And I remember, you know, within our circle of, of people who are so hopeful and want to, you know, change the world of work for the better. Mm -hmm. So many of us were saying, please, please, let's never forget these learnings that we're having. And they're so tough, but let's in a way promise each other that we'll do all that we can to make sure that, you know, a lot of these positive sentiments stay. And anyone, it's funny because people who will look at my LinkedIn profile, one of the first words I used to describe myself is that I'm an optimist and, and people will say, oh, I love that about you. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. It just doesn't, you know, maybe not always, <laughs> I generally try to be. And one of the things that's really been weighing heavily on me is some of these changes that I'm seeing in the workplace. And to your point, like, are they based on data? What are they based on? Mm-hmm how many conversations are we still having with employees? So for me, as somebody who leads a survey practice, I do it because I'm a firm believer. You need to have those conversations at scale with your employees and to really know what, you know, what they're feeling. And so some of the data that we talked about that we collected, like how are people making decisions? Do employees feel like they're involved? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions was, do you know how your employer made a decision to go back to the office? So we surveyed 300 workers across the U.S. and the qualifying criteria was that they had to be currently employed and that they had to have been asked to go back to the office. And so the two, it was, you know, select all that apply. The two top answers that were given, the top one was, I think the decision was made because our leadership wanted us to return. That was 37% of people said that. 35% of people said they seem to follow what other companies and their industries are doing. Um, Mm. The next one was at 28%, I have no idea how the decision was made. And 20% said they asked employees through surveys, focus groups, or another way. So like one out of five people said that. And then the only lower one at 19% 
is that they read published research or reports. And so to me, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that this is happening. And so of course it could be, you know, not every employee necessarily knows. And clearly a lot of them are saying, I have no idea how these decisions were made. And I'm not saying that we necessarily had a perfect working world during the pandemic, that everyone should be remote, but I am so skeptical around what is happening now. And I'll even see like on on my, you know, social media friends writing like second attempt at going back to the office, you know, like first, what are we doing now? Um, What are you seeing in your conversations with organizations? And I know in your nature of work, you probably, you know, interact more with organizations who are focusing on data. Um, right. But were these were these numbers surprising to you? I know we collected them because you thought like, Sonia, there's actually not that much information out there about this. But what was your initial reaction um, to this data? I would have, yeah, I would have thought the um, my employer asked me or asked employees would be higher than the 20-ish percent because, yeah. um, and perhaps I connect a lot with various survey vendors. So it seems that mm. everyone is running surveys. Um <laughs> But it does seem like given amongst my non-people analytics friends, they are getting surveyed from employers. Um, however, it might be uh, it might be on other topics, right? It could be just general engagement and not as much on what would you really like to do. And sometimes companies do send those out and, and use that sort of as a signal without directly asking because um, there's fear of not being able to deliver if everyone says X and then we can only do Y. Um, yeah. So totally understand. So I wonder if there's um, some some issues there because of either the, the question, the survey design um, and, uh, or something else. Um, I also am concerned that we are doing a lot of copying what other people are doing. Because our, you know, we know employees yeah. are unique at every organization within every team, even on a gosh individual on on a daily basis. I might need different things. So, mm-hmm. um, so to simply copy someone else's strategy um, seems like that that would be uh, that will lead to challenges down the road without knowing what exactly it is that our employees need in this organization. Um, again, I, I think survey gets a really bad rap for, for um, if we can address everyone's concerns, then let's mm-hmm. just not put it on paper. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm someone who, again, I'm a data person, so I would rather know than not know. Um, uh, you know, the worst case scenario, I can come out and say, we heard you. This just isn't something we're able to do right now. Well, what we can do instead is X, or we can do this next year, um, but at least provide some sort of response. And and I, I always think knowing is better than not knowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Honestly, I feel like there's there's actually a certain lack of honesty in a lot of mm, this sometimes mm. because I've worked with some, so I'm a culture uh, consultant and we've done some projects around hybrid workplace and we've, we work with much, much smaller companies and organizations, but um, even with smaller ones, we've seen some that, that have collected the data, but they ignore the results because the results aren't what they wanted them to be, (laughs) you know? So for example, there was one that was that the questions were, how many days would you like to return to the office? 
Oh. And everybody wrote in, I mean, not everybody literally, but a very high percentage of people said never. Zero, <laughs> like yeah. Zero days, right. you know, and, and so, but instead of having that honest conversation about the fact that most people on staff don't want to come back and how can we, you know, figure this out because it's important to come back for X, Y, Z reason, right? they just, they don't, they don't want to have that honest conversation. They want to just yeah. kind of hide behind setting policies like okay it must be three days a week and right you know what i mean like it's right. it's it's a shame that for yeah. somehow the the vehicle for having these honest conversations doesn't really exist i think right and and if there's one thing we learn from COVID is that one size does not fit all right yeah. so how can we have a policy that fits all um especially without asking anyone. Um, right. I, I think that's, you know, logically we know that's not going to work well, but we are, we seem to be praying and hoping <laughs> that it does work for most and, and that, that it will be okay. Um, but, but I think the retention risk is so real. Um, a lot of people are saying I'm quitting the moment I'm forced to go back to the office because I'm not dealing with that commute anymore or, um, you know, whatever life I have gotten used to. If I'm able to stay as productive as I have been in the past three years, then if not more, there's going to be a really compelling reason mm -hmm. for me to commit to a, you know, two hour commute a day going forward and giving up um, all the other important things. Maybe mm -hmm. I've picked up a new hobby that, um, that <laughs> I want to continue to, to uh, enjoy at home, right? And, and I think I, I think that's where the honest conversation would be really helpful mm -hmm. of instead of saying everyone comes back, um, have the dialogue around the purpose. I think the purpose for workplace um, and offices in general needs to be clear for the future uh, for people to come back. Because the worst thing that can happen is someone comes back and no one else that they collaborate with is actually in the office. So they go to the office to Zoom with others. Um, that, that, is a, that is a nightmare. So how can we, you know, I think the conversation needs to be ongoing as well. Because um, what, what we feel now is very different from, from before. Um, and I know from even my own team, because we're all different, and even as a relatively small team um, of like 20, 20-ish 20 of us at a time, I remember there were people who wanted to come in. Um, yeah. There were people who didn't want to come in at all. And they have very similar demographics. If I just look at their demographic data purely, I would say, okay, they are both, you know, working parents with toddlers um, and they both live in Chicago but uh, or whichever city, but they have, uh, you know, same gender, very similar age, but they have very different preferences. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I think about why in those examples, and in my case, I had someone who was very used to working remotely and um, and just, you know, very comfortable. And then the other person was very used to being customer client facing all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, as I think about even just that simple data point as a leader, I wanted to, one, come across as fair. Um, I wanted to make sure that the person who... Um, 
isn't able to come in or doesn't want to come in isn't missing out on this FaceTime and interaction and these these mm -hmm. uh, difficult to measure benefits of being close to a leader physically yeah. and spending time with them. Um, at the same time, I also don't want to put pressure on someone else who may be equally productive or even more productive at home and, and force them to come in to have lunch with the group for no reason. Um, mm -hmm. so that's a really tough balance. So, and, and again, I think about that just on a small scale um, and I had offices across the world. So this is, you know, even <laughs> not considering all the other countries uh, where we have employees and we would like to collaborate and the time zone is difficult and so on. So, so there's a lot of challenges. Then you elevate that up to an organization level or even let's call it just a function. It becomes super challenging to find a, not even a policy, but even a, a new norm-ish that can kind of work for most people uh, where it is fair, where people can get um, still that sense of connection, where especially for new hires, um, for those who want in-person training, where it's difficult to do something like that remotely, um, they have the opportunity to do that without causing uh, what we are, you know, starting to see some articles on this topic. The prediction is that going back to the office is going to disproportionately be detrimental to women and people of color's career because they. Mm -hmm have less flexibility to be able to do that. Um, mm -hmm. If they are the breadwinner, if they are the um, only provider, if they are the uh, caretaker and so on. So um, so how do we how how do we stay fair to all employees why while keeping that in mind? So I think that's the challenge of um, um, of, of this entire issue and um, and the other piece that we don't really talk about and the data is difficult to gather is productivity. I think mm -hmm. what, what is um, what a lot of business leaders are worried about is, well, when I used to manage in person by walking around the floor, I can see who's working, who's not. I can see who gets in when and, and so on. Well, we've had three and a half years of not seeing anyone, you know, waking up, getting into the office. So, yeah. uh, so how do we go to the new management of being able to know productivity in more or less real time and not just once a year performance reviews um, or quarterly, if you are quarterly, um, and, and still be able to reward people differently, right? reward the top yeah. performers, reward the people who um, who are putting in the effort when it's so hard to see uh, without getting creepy on data privacy side. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, the camera's so, on, I can see you at your desk. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if um, anyone has quite solved it, but it seems like the research I have seen so far is for companies that actually work with employees along the journey and they are honest and transparent about, we may change our mind. We may not know what we're doing. We will try this for a little while and we will continue to check in with you to see what's working, what's not. So be patient with us as we learn mm -hmm. with you. That seems to work better than, okay, let's decide in a vacuum <laughs> and 
hope you get on board. And if not, we will have, um, you know, um, consequences on salary and promotions. And, and, mm. and that just seems like um, is the um, less healthy way. But, yeah. you know, the, the data well, is still- yeah, like a lot of what you're saying, I think in some ways with the return to the office where I don't want to say everyone, but in a lot of cases, like we're masking these larger issues that are harder to solve, like trust. Mm, like mm-hmm. what is yeah, the expectation exactly. of someone? Can we yeah. articulate what their goals are? And then how do we collaborate right. with them to make sure? Because if you think about it, I can walk by somebody's screen and see a spreadsheet on there. It could be the yeah. same spreadsheet all day. Like you're, as a manager, you're not, you know what I mean? Like, so is this person being efficient? It's not even, okay, so I can see that they right. have something. They're not playing a game or shopping, but are they effectively getting to their goal? Where are they being stuck? And I think like the the, the diversity inclusion issues, those are so huge. And I, I mean, I've, I have conversations about those all the time, even with, you know, um, especially with people who are not in our field, because I think it's even more telling to to see how they think about them. But for organizations to think about how is this going to impact? And I think as a as a woman, I think about that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. As a mother, my partner, he works and he chooses to go in the office. Good thing, because I don't think both of us could be working out of the same room every day. <laughs> So Your Wi-Fi is not good enough. Us, you know, <laughs> like, like, is it why is it like I'm, I'm not used to having somebody talk next to me all the time anymore? Um, but I'm the one, you know, that if our son is not feeling well, I'm, at, I'm working from home. So it's easier for me to grab me, mm-hmm. grab him in the morning. I'm the one that relieves the nanny at the end of the day because right. I'm here. I might hours, quote unquote, end earlier because of that lack of commute. Mm-hmm. But then what does it look like for flexibility? So I do hope that in many ways those challenges, um, you know, that, that are bigger, we don't try to mask them with something that seems like a simpler solution, just mm-hmm. in a way yeah. to not, you know, oh, like, we don't want to make them worse, but are we not really? Um, one of the questions I, I have so many, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you, if you've, you know, have some advice or have, you know, maybe seen some good things happen. So based on the data, we're obviously seeing that not everyone is doing employee surveys and not everyone is very clear about how the decision was being made. And I do think that sometimes that even happens in HR departments, that they're they're not necessarily a strategic partner in making that decision, that maybe the executive suite made that decision and they're there to execute. And so they might be grabbing their head saying, okay, but cool, I'm still responsible for recruiting and I'm still (laughs) responsible for retention and you just rocked my world and blew it up. What do I do? (laughs) So do you have any advice maybe for somebody, again, that's an HR and maybe they would have approached a decision differently but they didn't have an opportunity to, mm. what do they do now t- to make right. sure that things, you know, the walls around them don't fall up, fall down or fall apart? Right. Yeah. So I think data brings you power and data is absolutely the superpower of any HR business partner I have worked with. Um, if they, uh, if they can get their hands on it, they can tell stories with data. And, and here's, Here's the thing, the virus, as we know, had, gosh, there's no playbook for dealing with it. And we're all continuing to learn. So whatever decision has been made may or may not be permanent. It may, mm-hmm. it may be temporary. When there's new data that shows we are unable to retain and attract talent anymore, the leadership team may feel differently. 
but mm -hmm. they might need data to change their mind. And I don't think it's necessary an individual HR business partner's job to change the C-suite's mind on, on return to office. But I do think as someone who is connected most to employees, to candidates, to hiring managers, to bring back that voice, to bring back that data and share back how this policy is going, how this implementation is going, how is it impacting our retention? How is it impacting our attraction? How is it impacting our engagement? And bring that data to the board. <laughs> um, that's what, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a board that is not interested in, in this topic right now because it is so heated. And, and if this strategy becomes your competitive advantage, to get more talent that other companies that you compete with can't, great. That might be the data point that is needed. Um, and, and I think the challenge has always been, it's not one size fits all, right? So granted some, some jobs you can perform at home. Some jobs are just impossible to perform at home um, that require customer interactions and so on. And so, but, but that aside, if we just focus on the ones that have flexibility, which are the ones that are revenue generating, that are profit makers for the company? Focus on those roles first. Um, I would recommend, you know, instead of trying to boil the ocean and say, we're going to find a policy that is both flexible and just amazing and, and, um, uh, and also very easy to understand. It's going to be very challenging. But if you were to figure out what those, um, what those most valuable or most um, critical roles some companies call them are, um, perhaps you are a pharma company and that's your R&D department, right? Perhaps you are um, an, an, a tech company and that's your engineers or a certain type of engineers. Figure out what those are and then if you can get, if you can focus on those, um, whether it's asking for feedback as a starting point or um, gathering that productivity data in a real way, lines of code uh, written and, and so on, you know, patents filed, what have you. Um, find something that is concrete that you can track to measure productivity and get started. I think those metrics will speak volumes in the boardroom as opposed to a survey that says uh, we don't want to go back to the office because um, productivity at the end of the day for your within your critical roles is going to make or break your company. Um, so let's figure those out and then use that success to roll out the rest um, as mm -hmm. opposed to trying to, like I said, boil, boil, boiling an ocean, <laughs> you will get crushed by waves. Well, and I love the, the idea of really focusing on different job types as mm -hmm. well, right? Because it might actually not be your customer service people who are on the phone all day that could do that from home. It might be other other people who really do need to be out there shaking hands or, you know, meeting clients in their offices or whatever the case might be. But But having an understanding of each different role and how how they work best right? right is not the way that they're mostly trying to approach this it's mm -hmm. much more just a blanket survey of everybody with a question like how many days do you want would you prefer to be back in the office you know without any kind of nuance around what mm -hmm. you actually do in the office or, or outside right. of the office 
et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I think the, some of those conversations could be much richer um, and much more um, for sure kind of customized to each type of job. Right. And and on that topic of survey, which I can talk about for a full hour, um, but if you think about the design of survey instead of asking what people want to do, um, here's the thing. People don't always know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. economics, there's this concept of uh, you know, revealed preference, right? And the, your revealed preference is what you actually do. <laughs> so your stated preference on a survey may or may not match. Um, ask any, anyone who has done an event, your RSVP list never matches who shows up. <laughs> Okay, so how could you think asking who is going to come into the office will match who is going to actually show up to the office, right? And and so a much better survey to do that will be very insightful and immediately actionable is by asking the people who actually went into the office. Ask them the questions. Ask them the tough questions. Mm-hmm. So how did your day went? Were you, mm-hmm. you know, did you get to collaborate with people you wanted? Did you get the mentoring you were expecting? Um, or was this a complete waste of your commute time and you don't want to come back ever again? Um, or were you looking for snacks and you couldn't find snacks that used to be in the office? <laughs> um, trust me, I've seen a lot of very interesting comments. <laughs> So, yes, the snacks so, always come up. The snacks always come up. You know what? Food is how we bond. Yes. <laughs> I have my personal data to shoot <laughs> that supports that at least. And and so ask them those questions on on how did today how did today really go? And and then once you have enough people who answer it, you can slice and dice in different ways. Perhaps it's different for people managers. Perhaps it's different mm-hmm. for individual contributors. And you need to address their needs differently going going um, going into the future. And uh, perhaps it's it's something else. You may have functional differences that you didn't know. Maybe the engineers and um, HR actually behave very similarly. Who knows? And mm-hmm. I would say this is when you don't assume and let the data tell you. Ask the right questions and then let the data tell you what you need to do to guide mm-hmm. your next steps, whether it's buy more snacks or <laughs> uh, or a common area for engineers and HR professionals to collaborate mm-hmm. and hang out. Um, but the data will tell you that and not some mm-hmm. research from other organizations and not your competitors um, and not something you read in the Wall Street Journal. Not that Wall Street Journal isn't mm-hmm. great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you, Serena, for all the advice. Um, I, I feel like this is a conversation we really could take on forever. And I know we will continue to talk about it and bring data to the world and considerations over time, because I, I don't think like you were saying, this issue will go away. And I do think, and I hope organizations iterate on how they do work and where they do work from and when, um, before we part ways for today, I just wanted to ask you if you have any last words of advice or something for, um, our listeners to consider as they walk away from from this session. Yeah, I think two things. One, you probably have more data than you think. So there's a lot of surveys that you might have collected that have great signals that will tell you what keeps an employee here, what is exciting about this workplace that you want to continue to um, to bring back. Um, that could be in person, could be virtual. Second is don't be afraid to gather data. Just because you don't have data today doesn't 
mean it's the end of the world. Um, so you know, definitely focus on what is important to the business, whether that's productivity, could be employee wellness, it could be diversity, equity, inclusion, um, but decide on those metrics first and then start asking questions so that you can track your progress on how you're doing because um, we only improve what we measure, right? I love it. And <laughs> spoken from the heart as somebody who founded a company, love learn to love data with Serena. So <laughs> love those very, very aligned um, words to your to what you stand for. So for anybody um, who doesn't know you already or is not connected with you already, what's the best place to connect with you, reach out to you, learn more about what you do? Yeah, so I am very active on LinkedIn. You're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn and join the 13,000 people in my community um, or check out my website, datawithserena.com. I have a new course that is launching on LinkedIn Learning that will teach you all about the measurement of DEI and employee wellness. So I'm super excited about that. And I do uh, giveaways uh, for people to take the course for free once a month. So you can join this on, on my website if you're interested. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for so much. Me. It was amazing to have you on. See you again soon. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. In addition to being the Empowering Workplaces host, I'm also the president of Question Pro Workforce. And I wanted to tell you a bit more about it because it so brilliantly aligns with our concept of empowerment. At Question Pro Workforce, we help organizations across the world better connect with their employees. We do this through continuous listening survey technology, as well as sharing our deep knowledge and expertise to help our clients know what questions to ask to most deeply connect with their workforce and take impactful action on data and insights they collect. Learn how Question Pro Workforce can be a great partner on your path to creating a really outstanding employee listening strategy and a remarkable organizational culture at questionpro.com backslash workforce.